Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys there. Lots of cool pictures, lots of giveaways. You follow, you can win music, books, all types of things. Uh, when we get over this COVID, you could probably win tickets to a concert. Right now, we're kind of on a hold on that part. <laughs> but thank you, thank you, and thank you for tuning in. Well, today, I am speaking with someone very far away from me, all the way in South Africa, um, a wonderful writer, a new writer, really challenging you on the ideas of time, power, conspiracy, um, all types of things in his book, and I wanted to have him on. Uh, he is the winner of the inaugural Penn International New Voices Award in 2013. He was a finalist for the Kane Prize in 2015. Um, he was a Fulbright, so many things. And this is his second book, and I want to uh, introduce you to author Masande Ntushanga. Good morning and good evening to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good morning and evening to you, Joy. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure and honor. Um, I was so, I don't know, I was really pleasantly surprised um, when you reached out. And uh, I've been looking forward to this interview. I'm glad. I, um, you really, like, stretched my brain and, like, I felt like I was being twisted into a pretzel, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like trying to read and, and figure out and like, is that real? Was that fake? Is it, so many things going on in this book. Um, but let's yeah. talk, let's talk in the beginning about um, time. Time is a big thing in the book um, and the talk about time and, and the urgency. Things are urgent and now, and then sometimes things slow down. You know, Einstein said that, um, Time slows down or speeds up depending on how fast you move relative to things. And then Stephen Hawking yeah. has a time theory. He has like the three arrows of time, thermal, dynamic, psychological, and cosmological. Um, mm-hmm. How did time affect you in your life? 
do you feel like you were rushed through your life? Do you feel like you wanted to go back and redo something? How has time impacted you? Time for me has always been interesting because um, South African society, contemporary society, is very much influenced by um, our recent past. And it's, it's something that's always kind of present in our national consciousness, and it's continuously um, narrativized, you know, and revised um, depending on which, you know, powerful person um, is in charge and what they want the narrative to serve. And, um, and the interesting thing, too, is that once you start to move beyond the recent past and start to enter into colonial history, that's where things become vague. And so when I was growing up, I was always kind of very interested in this, um, what felt to me at, at the time as almost a conspiracy of silence mm-hmm. um, amongst people from the previous generation. And um, I suppose our parents never wanted to talk about what it was like um, to exist in the height of apartheid and the kinds of things that they had to do to survive. And instead, when my generation was born, um, a lot of importance was put on us kind of focusing on the future, um, which, you know, as well-intentioned as it was, I think it it left out very vital um, things that we needed in order to understand ourselves and understand our place in um, history and in the present. And so the older I got, the more interested I became in investigating, you know, our past, um, investigating the stories that came from the previous generation and also beyond that. Um, so that was, that, that was the first thing. And mm-hmm. it's, it's still kind of, it's still an ongoing thing um, to understand what it is to be South African is to continuously grapple, you know, with time, with, with time. And as I was doing that, I think one of the things that, like, stuck out really, like, um, strongly was that our history is kind of a continuum. You know, there isn't the end of apartheid and then contemporary um, South Africa. Um, The former informs the latter, like, almost in in a continuous way. I think yeah. so all of those things kind of fed in and into that preoccupation with time. That's the same thing here, I think, in America. You know, right now we're going through uh, the incidents of George Floyd that sparked all the protests that we have over here. I'm sure you're aware of those things uh-huh. going on. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the idea that, you know, at times, it was so long ago. You know, these are the conversations people say, uh-huh. so long ago. Why are you still having a problem here? Like, that's not going on yeah. right now. And, you know, yeah. I didn't own any slaves or, you know, I'm not racist or this, that, and the other. And yet I was talking with someone and I said, you know, if you look at it not in minutes or hours or days, but if you actually look at it in terms of people's lives, generational lives, that yeah. it could be a family maybe only four generations, so four humans back that were involved in slavery. So when you think about people say, well, how come somebody has a certain disease or has a certain behavior, then 
Is it the environment? Is it genetics? But many things are impacted by the environment that they were in. So if four generations, you see, then the time kind of goes out the window. You can't think about it in days and minutes and hours. Um, And that's something also in your book. You talk about, uh, I don't want to give stuff away too much, but the one of the, the, the main character, well, the main character is dealing with the mental health issues, and yeah. um, the impact on the younger life. You talk about the, uh, the younger life of the character, and then the older life. That's where I started getting a little loopy because I was like, "Is she imagining this, or is this for real?" Is this part of the new plot, or was that in the old? Oh, wait, I saw the connection to this. You know, I got excited. You know, like, oh, oh, yep, yeah, we talked about that before. Remember that. Remember that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on those. Yes, I, I did. I, I was like, uh, uh, I saw that before. You about to slip. Um, <laughs> mental health in America is a big issue, and for African American communities. It's still this um, people don't want to go to therapy. They feel like it's the white thing to do. How about what's going on in South Africa with black South Africans and mental health? Um, What is that feeling there? Should they be going to therapy? Is it like looked down upon? You're weak. What's happening there with that? Um, So I think um, when I was growing up, it definitely had the stigma around it, even though, you know, quite tragically, you'd see family members who were obviously, you know, struggling. And um, there would be, you know, there's also, there were also deaths during this time that went unaccounted for. And, you know, people would blame all sorts of things. Um, But I think, you know, uh, as I've gotten older and, as the conversation around mental health has become wider spread and as parents, I guess, have also grown, you know, in concern about, you know, what's happening with the um, children, it's become in a way less um, taboo. And in fact, there's another great writer that we had who tragically passed away um, in 2005, I think, Um, And he wrote a novel which was very um, influential, you know, amongst the youth in the country called The Quiet Violence of Dreams, in which he kind of dealt with mental illness as well. So Mm -hmm. it's always kind of been there as something that's in our consciousness. But um, it's also been something that's seen, you know, um, a lot of times as coinciding with our other practices. Um, For example, um, a lot of times when people have been taught to perhaps, you know, um, display signs of mental illness, it's turned out that they actually um, are responding to a spiritual calling, and then they usually have to go through a ceremony um, that deals with that, and they come out fine on the other end. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so there's that, and then on the other side, of course, there's, there's mental illness. And I think the conversation right now has shifted towards people being more open about it. Um, definitely, I feel that it's, it's kind of also our responsibilities as writers uh, and artists and other intellectuals to be able to kind of be open about these issues, you know. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and it's something that I'm willing to do because, I mean, 
a lot of the stuff that I write about in my novels are also things that are, are drawn from experience, if not directly, then, you know, from the experiences of those close around me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's it's things that I've had to deal with and things that I know um, people I know have had to deal with. And I think, in general, the mood right now, um, at least on the online space, mm-hmm. that um, we can't. Yeah, we can speak quite openly about it. And it's becoming, um, especially therapy, you know, therapy is is becoming something that a lot of us need. I, I had a conversation about it, in fact, um, with my mother just the other day. And, you know, without me kind of provoking it in any way, she kind of said, you know, she, she understands. Um, and in fact, one day she thinks maybe she might look into um, going to therapy herself. So there's definitely wow. That's cr- wild. So, you know, we're in this COVID situation, you know, all over the globe. This is a traumatic experience. People are going to have probably post-traumatic stress disorders or different things from this situation, you know. Um, yeah, so yeah. mental health is something uh, that it, it's not – I think when people think mental health, they think like the horror film. And somebody running down the street yeah. with a knife, and you know, course, you know, yeah. losing their mind and their eyeballs coming out of their head. Yeah. But you know, that's not always yeah. the case. You know, it, it can just be something maybe low, underlying, kind of steadily there, and that's just slightly thing. impacting yeah. your your day to day life. And then there are the extremes. Yeah. But but there are there's no shame in trying to get help for the day to day, you know, things. That's now. You have this title. It's called Triangulum. Now, where did that come from? I I kind of know. Do you do we want to give it away, kind of, or should we kind of? Uh, <laughs> I, I want. I I would like to leave that one as a treat to to okay. the potential new readers. Okay. Yeah. All right, potential new readers. You will see what that's about. Okay, let's move on to conspiracy <laughs> here. Right now, again, I'm going to go back to COVID. Uh, I could even go to the race relations thing because recently somebody posted a video talking about there is no racism in America, but I was like, whatever. Um, So conspiracies, you have a lot of things going on here with conspiracies, like almost like a dough. I felt like there was this conspiracy and it was like a pie. And then you folded the left hand of the pie and the right hand of the pie and it all got mushed up together. And uh, it was like four or five conspiracy things going on. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what is your what is your theory about this COVID? Do you think it's some something the government made up um, to spread around the globe to get rid of the the low lying fruit, so to speak? Oh my goodness! You know, I've I've heard about that, and I've I've thought about it, and definitely, you know, like this idea of the virus being something you know that was created and either was released by accident or deliberately, um, you know, it, it has, it is something that's floated into my head, but I think the way that I've been thinking about it in general, though, has, um, I guess been more tragic and less exciting as, um, a sickness that has basically befallen humankind and is, like wiping us out and whether or not that's by our own hand or by, you know, an accident of nature. Mm -hmm. 
it kind of leads to the same thing, you know, that the species which has had this predominance over this planet has actually is now in real time encountering something that is life threatening, existence threatening for it. And so mm-hmm. far and even in the past couple of weeks, we have largely just been reactive to it and we haven't really been able to um, defend ourselves. And it really has put me in the frame of mind of really thinking, like, if things were to get really bad, what kind of legacy will humankind have, um, you know, left? And some of it, I I know, um, it seems a little depressing. I was just thinking the other day that um, the, the creation of Freon to use in refrigerators just to preserve leftover food and single-handedly, this is a discovery that resulted in a hole in the ozone layer that um, we're still trying to kind of work. Manage, again. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. manage in terms of our survival. And, yeah, there, yeah there's, so, there's a few things that come with that are just taken for granted as part of human life and all that have been, which have kind of um, have been destructive and they affect and so something like this COVID for me something which is life-threatening for our species does tend to make me reflect on that as well you know what is our impact and what is our legacy here in the book you're talking a lot about the governmental powers the huge corporations and their impact on the little man Um, do you know anybody who was spied on has anybody from maybe your parents' generation uh, before your grandparents, do you know anybody who was maybe in the movement? Did they ever tell you certain stories, um, documents they found? You know, did, did you have that experience? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe, could you ask that again, please? No, that's okay. I said, do you know someone in your life that was spied upon uh-huh. by the government oh. or you know, that found documents oh. that proved a certain theory. Do you, do you have that knowledge for fact, or is that something you decided to make up based on fantasy? Um, I, decided to, I decided to make it up, but um, interestingly, though, I've always felt as if I might have, uh, which is a feeling that a lot of South Africans have, because part of um, our parents' ha- surviving the apartheid states was that everyone had to be at least semi-clandestine. And I remember as a child, you know, growing up in Bishop sometimes, going through drills where if there was a knock on the door, you know, um, we were told the first thing that we had to do was kind of like run and find a hiding place in the house. And we were children and we didn't really understand this. But of course, this was, again, the height of apartheid. Um, I was actually born um, during um, a state of emergency. The, the the country was under a state of emergency that year. And so this this idea of always kind of having to be covert and having to um, be strategic about what you disclose to the state, uh, et cetera, is definitely a paranoia that was bred by the apartheid regime. And something that did infiltrate, you know, our homes, uh, my generation, and um, I suppose my parents as well. Same here, I think, with um, in America, many um, 
political activists. You know, for example, there was a movie just recently came out about um, Malcolm X and his death, and it came out that, you know, definitely they believe the government was somehow involved and paid off, you know, blacks that were in the area to, you know, kill him and things of that nature. Um, Also, we know that, you know, uh, Martin Luther King was being observed all the time and spied upon, Um, you know, it's just that just par for the course. Um, And even now with the um, incidents of protests going on here in America, they were talking about the violent protests and how people were breaking windows and destroying stores and home fronts and all these things, come to find out they were agitators. They were people that were placed there to make it look like the peaceful protesters were being violent. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've been aware of that and it's, it's, um, it's infuriating and it's so frustrating. It seems as if like, Ever since, well, it obviously predates it, but since, at least in the public consciousness, since 2016, just disinformation and as a, as a, as a tool, as a tactical tool, as something that's just, it's really taken off in a way that's quite disturbing. And um, we are also dealing with an emergence of this distribution of false information for political aims here in South Africa, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, and its first front is is is, um, is on the Internet. And a lot of people aren't really... Um, it hasn't come into their consciousness yet, and so they're taking a lot of the stuff in good faith. And some of it is really... It's, um, it's really destructive, and it's vile, and it's... Um, yeah, it's it's bigoted, and yeah, it's just it's just bad. But um, yeah, definitely. Well, that's I what they're doing with Facebook here. Yeah, Facebook. Um, you know, they were even brought up, um, found to be you know putting ads out for certain political um, entities or think tanks and things like that. Um, exactly. And and they, the thing right now is data, and that's something else else you talk about in your book. Um, the the main character is um, working with a lot of data and, and research and um, collating and sorting all types of data about people and places and things. And that is king right now. Data is king. Everywhere yeah. you go, you fill in your name, your email. Sometimes they ask you for your address. Sometimes they ask you for your phone number. And, you know, the question is how much do you give up and or – the question is, can you take it back? What if you create an account and you don't want to do that anymore? It's sometimes very difficult exactly. to actually close account. And I realize yeah. it's on purpose. They do yeah, that on purpose. Yeah. Do you agree? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, they they absolutely do. And I I kind of realized myself like a few years ago, just coming into this realization that, you know, in Africa or in South Africa specifically, um, this was supposed to be part of our narrative, you know, the, the tech explosion um, that starts, I guess, with Facebook and, you know, moves on towards Twitter and just kind of how the, the Internet was revolutionized by microblogging and social media. 
And um, a lot of people took it in good faith, but they didn't actually understand um, that in in a lot of ways, this was kind of the evolution of capitalism. It's a more refined iteration of it, but its principles of exploitation um, and and the creation of um, scarcity, actually, in order to have control and dominance are still things that prevail in it. So the way that the companies work, um, I absolutely agree with that. It is on purpose. And the um, the ethos right now seems to be that they should just do everything first and then see whether or not it works and whether or not people are upset or harmed in such a way that, you know, they respond like this is, this is harmful to us. And then and only then will they decide to kind of slow down and reconsider um a way to do it that's less exploitative and um, more humane. And it's it's kind of difficult also to talk about these things because people feel like um, to kind of, well, not everyone, some people feel to have an uncritical investment in uh, technology is to believe in the future. And mm. to believe in the future here is to also believe, you know, in the well-being of uh our community and the well-being of black people. And it's, it, for them, it's a question of kind of, you know, being enterprising. And part of being enterprising in the 21st century is to embrace technology. Um, but unfortunately, like most things, we have to look closer at it. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is nothing to do with your book, but this is something I read, that you like this movie that's seven hours long. It's this Hungarian movie. <laughs> What yeah. is Tango? What in the world? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to talk to him about this. We had a couple of minutes left, but talk to what is this seven-hour movie about? So it's this it's it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film um, adaptation of an incredible novel by this Hungarian writer uh, Laszlo Kasnahokai. It was released in 1985. I think it was his first book. Yeah, it was his first book. So it's just a really, um, it's a great book. And the film, I think the reason it's so long, right, is because it's got these takes, these really, like, long takes that almost feel like still photos until something moves in the background. And I think... Uh, the director, Bellator, for that movie, specifically did it, I think, to capture um, this rural Hungarian landscape in a way that was kind of visceral. And it it does make it feel otherworldly. So the story is basically about a group of um, poor collectivist farmers in a rural um, Hungarian village. And um, a couple of years ago, a man professing to be a prophet came to the village and kind of gave them instructions on how to be more productive, how to grow their crops, and how to keep everything together. And so it's been a couple of years, and they haven't really observed his uh, rules. And so they hear that he's on his way back. Uh-oh. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and so they like, really scared, and they can't figure out, and whether or not he is a prophet, but they're really afraid of him or he's a conman. And us as the viewers, we also kind of 
kept on the fence, like, is he a convan or is he a prophet? But it's really beautiful. I would suggest okay, this. Okay, okay. Just clear, well, you know, clear seven hours if you can. <laughs> <laughs> Look, with COVID, you can spare seven hours right now. You're not doing anything, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, well, Makanda, it was so nice to speak with you today. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Okay. Um, I wish oh, you, you much success in the future. Uh, be safe and healthy. Um, I hear you're real quick. You're going to have a horror novel coming out. Is that true or something? No. Yeah, that is that is. That, uh, they're all whispers uh, going around. They're you know, all whispers. Is, is Conspiracies. Kind of <laughs> 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 no, I um, I am kind of I'm eyeing the genre. Thank you so much, Joy. This was really such a pleasure. Like what Thank a pleasure. Thank you very much. Intermission during COVID. Right? I, I know. It. We need it. We need it. All right. Well, you have a great evening, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with South African author Masande Ntishanga. We're talking about his book, Triangulum. I'm going to give away some copies, so definitely follow me uh, on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Oh, and also you can email me, Saturday is a joy keys at Hotmail. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.